Hello, in today's episode, we are going to be talking about everything from Dumbledore to possible discrepancies in the variations of the books, why some words are completely different, or even whole sentences. Stick around with us as we go into these things and more in this episode of Common Room Talk. Hello all, and welcome to the second episode of Common Room Talk. We made it. We made it past the first episode. It's exciting. This is the podcast where we talk all things Harry Potter. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Today also happens to be a very special day, as today is Harry Potter's birthday, so happy birthday, Harry Potter, but also J.K. Rowling's birthday. And it depends on how you want it. J.K. Rowling, J.K. Rowling, however you want to say it. It is her birthday today as well. So happy birthday to them both. And I don't think it's any kind of coincidence that the two share a birthday. On today's plate, we actually have a whole lot to get through. I have a few things that I'm going to talk about. And then we're going to get into the second half of the first chapter. And man, I am just blown away by how much is actually in this first chapter. There is so much to unpack. And this episode might be a tad bit longer than last episode. However, we have to get through all of this. And it's also official. We have an email now. So if you guys would like to interact with me here in Common Room Talk, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, uh, literally anything, if you guys just want to talk, just send me an email commonroomtalk at gmail.com. There's also a Facebook page under the same name, Common Room Talk. Go join it, please. Spread the word. I would love to have as many people as possible hear this. Thank you. And today, I actually want to do something a little bit different. I want to start off with with some news, and I don't have a catchy name for Harry Potter news yet. I thought like maybe Alpost or I don't know, just something. If you guys have a good idea of what I could call just any time that I have news for you guys, send me an email, uh, thecommonroomtalk at gmail.com. But the news that I want to start off with is this. On August 17th, as a 20th anniversary celebration, a re-release of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is coming out with a feature called Magical Movie Mode. It says that it will have or it will arrive jam-packed with filmmaking secrets, spell incantations, trivia, and activities and curiosities. It's going to have a director's commentary from Chris Columbus, deleted scenes, and quizzes. So yeah, this actually sounds really exciting, and I'm probably going to get it because you can never own enough copies of the original movie. And it's actually really cool. For for Christmas, one of my really good friends got me a completely sealed original copy, I believe, of the Sorcerer's Stone on VHS. And I know that there there might be some people listening to this that might ask, what the heck is a VHS? Uh, it was it is something that that old people used to use to watch movies on their old picture boxes in black and white. It's from generations ago. In fact, I'm pretty sure that archaeologists are starting to find fossilized remains of VCRs and, and VHS tapes all around the world. They're that old. So yeah, that's coming out August 17th. Go check it out. And now we're actually going to get a little deep into something. Earlier this week, I had a conversation with my lifelong friend, Cody. 
and, and he he asked me what I liked most about Harry Potter. He asked me what I, I was most fond of. And honestly, no one has ever actually asked me that question before. And I gave him a very quick answer, what is still the same actual answer that I have. However, I want to go in a little bit deeper into an explanation as to why. And that answer is actually going to probably be the most Dumbledore-ish answer I could possibly give you. But before I actually talk about what I am most fond of, I want to elaborate on something. And that is, yes, this is a story and these are fictional characters. But that doesn't mean that the situations and the responses by those characters are not things that people haven't actually in the real world dealt with. No, wizards aren't real, and and these people aren't saving the world with spells and incantations. No, but in the real world, people have really been hurt. And when these real people have been really hurt, they have choices to make in light of the situations that caused that pain. Well, the characters that we read in these books and in these stories represent some of those people that have been hurt. And they represent the best of us. And in some cases, in the villains, the worst of us. And we can look to these characters for inspiration. And it's it's wonderful to know that the situations we find our favorite characters are in are not always unlike the ones we often find ourselves in. Most of the time, these situations authors write about are things that have happened to them or significant people in their lives. It's honestly probably impossible to come up with original plots. People die in real life. Hitler really tried to take over the world. Best friends have turned their backs on each other. People have grown up poor. And these things, which I listed, are in no particular order. I'm not saying that one of them is worse than the other. I think we can figure out which one is probably the worst. However, they're not listed in any particular order. They're just variations of what we see, honestly, in our favorite stories. And they're, they're things that, that have happened throughout all of time. That There is nothing new. And as King Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, what has been, it is what will be. And what has been done, it is what will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. So yeah, we see our favorite characters in these stories, in their situations, and we see their responses to them. And it's something that we can aspire to do, to be like them, to respond like them, to, to be encouraged to do the things that they have done. That, that leads me to my answer to my friend Cody's question. What am I most fond of inside of the Harry Potter universe? And my most Dumbledore-ish answer is love. Harry's love, specifically. You see, his, his parents died. The other father figures that he had in his life also died. Spoiler alert. Sorry, I meant to put that first, but oh well. Spoiler alert. He's mistreated by the Dursleys. He's bullied in school, not by just students, but also by a teacher. And he's humiliated in front of his peers constantly. Despite how Harry has been hurt, he never fails in loving. So much so that he is willing to give his life for those he loves. He doesn't let circumstance best him. He loves unfailingly, and that to me is so inspiring. And I know that's a heavy answer for a simple question, but it's true. And with that, we're going to go in to our main topic today, which is the second half of the first chapter. We left off with the Dursleys going to bed after Vernon had a very peculiar day. 
there were owls, there were shooting stars, men in cloaks, and him hearing the name Potter and Harry. Now, in this second half, there is a lot to get through for just a few pages. We meet a bunch of characters. We, we, we kind of get some insight on some magic as well. And so, yeah, there's a lot to unpack. And I apologize if we go through it quickly because, again, there is a lot. We see that the cat, Professor McGonagall, is still just sitting there looking like a statue on the corner of Privet Drive. And then... A man appears out of nowhere. It says as if he just popped out of the ground. And this is actually where we see the the movie start, where it's just a dark, foggy night, and this man just kind of appears out of the mist. I think that this is our first glance at apparition, the ability to disappear and reappear somewhere on command. And while we don't get the classic popping noise that we have associated with apparition i think that as harry says he's come to realize that bangs and smoke and stuff are more the signs of inaptitude rather than brilliance and i think that when we find out who this man is he is more than capable of being able to apparate completely silently in fact we we see later on in the series that at one point he does apparate and it doesn't seem to be quite as loud as normal apparition and i think that when we get the description of this man it might be the most stereotypical description or or most accurate depiction of what we think a wizard like merlin would look like if we closed our eyes and thought of wizard it says nothing like this man had ever been seen in private drive he was tall thin and very old judging by the silver of his hair and beard which were both long enough to tuck into his belt he was wearing long robes a purple cloak which swept the ground and high-heeled buckled boots i think that's how every old mystical mythical magical legendary wizard is ever really depicted as and i love it and of course this man's name albus dumbledore And we actually know that there's quite a bit more to his name, but we're going to come across that later. But yeah, Dumbledore, this is my all-time favorite character in the entire series. And to really give just another Dumbledore-ish answer as to why is because I I feel like I relate so closely to him. Not that I'm like saying that I'm all-powerful and like the strongest character in the universe. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I mean is this is without going into too many spoilers, Dumbledore was forced to live a very serious childhood and teenage life. He had to carry burdens that no kid his age should have to bear. And yeah, we see probably, well, actually much greater burdens laid on Harry's shoulders. But what Dumbledore goes through and the chance that it could have possibly also been his fault. The things that he carries with him and we see really affect him after he drinks the potion in the Half-Blood Prince, we know that it's actually a burden he has never let go. But what I love most about this is the kind of person that Dumbledore is. He is kind, caring, loving, compassionate, and most of all, silly. And we see that really with some of the the first words that he speaks inside of Hogwarts itself, the way that he addresses the students. He is just so amazing, despite what he has gone through. And it is one of the things that I truly 
aspire to be and, and not to go into my past because this is not about me whatsoever. But there were things that I dealt with as a young adult that I shouldn't had to deal with. And it really shaped who I am. And I had to live a serious life for a long time. And now I love being silly and goofy. And I'm still serious. I, I, I know when to turn it on and off. But because of those burdens, I love being silly and carefree now. And that's a lot of how I see Dumbledore, who has lived so much life. And he knows what the important things are. And he lives those to the fullest. And because of that, he is by far my favorite character. It also helps that he's like the baddest dude in the entire series who is totally willing to just fight the entire ministry and then even, I wouldn't say gloat, but just make it very known as he, he looks at Cornelius one time and says, and it's probably one of my favorite lines, I'm ready to face all of your wizards and win again. It is absolutely amazing. And so yeah, Dumbledore looks down, he sees the cat, he recognizes Professor McGonagall, actually says, I should have known... In the movies, I should have known. He recognizes Professor McGonagall, and he has his Deluminator out, which we don't know is called a Deluminator in this in the books. It's called a Put-Outer, which I think is an equally cool name, but I really like Deluminator. And he sucks all the lights out with this Deluminator, which the Deluminator itself becomes very interesting again in the last book of the series. And so we will obviously address that then. But it is assumed that this is a creation and invention of Dumbledore's own. But yeah, he recognizes Professor McGonagall. And then we see our first little bit of transfiguration as the cat changes into an actual person. And she asks, how did you know it was me? And this is actually one thing early on that bothers me. Because you would think that there would be enough familiarity built up between these two to recognize each other without having to actually ask, how did you know it was me? And yes, I know that it was dark, it was misty, it was in the middle of Privet Drive where nothing like this man had ever been seen before. However, I just think it's weird that Dumbledore wouldn't actually recognize Professor McGonagall. And then Dumbledore gives her kind of just a dumb answer about never seeing a cat sit so stiff before and yeah I, it just bothers me i would think that they wouldn't know each other well enough by then to recognize each other regardless of their form then we see dumbledore and professor mcgonagall going back and forth about the celebrations professor mcgonagall being upset dumbledore talking about how there's been precious little to celebrate and really you see kind of the contrast between the two where Dumbledore is a little more carefree and laxed and you start to see the severity of Professor McGonagall here. And there are other tidbits of important information as well. You know who was brought up again and we're told that it seems that he has disappeared and we're given some time frame in which it seems that people have been facing some sort of adversity 11 years. And we can assume that these two things probably have something to do with each other. You know who and 11 years of adversity. We also get you know whose real name as well inside of this back and forth, Lord Voldemort. We also see the first reaction to that name from Professor McGonagall as she flinches when it is said. And I think this is funny because Dumbledore goes into this little bit about using the proper name 
saying that everyone should call him Voldemort when we see a few books later that that's not even the name that Dumbledore wants to use for him. And so I think it's really cool to to see that. I wonder at what point that changed for Dumbledore, that, that he says that the proper name is actually what it is. I'm not going to reveal it now, instead of actually calling him Voldemort. So Professor McGonagall then presses on about what is really going on tonight, saying that there are rumors about what had happened to Voldemort and why he disappeared. And we also see her kind of struggle to say his name. We kind of get the story here that Voldemort turned up to Godric's Hollow to find the Potters. And I actually want to point out that this is the first time that we, as the readers, find out that Harry is actually from Godric's Hollow. I know that I really don't ever think about this until it becomes important in the later series, but it is really cool that that is already an established fact here in the very first chapter. We also learn Lily and James's names, that they were Harry's parents, and that they are now dead, that Voldemort tried to kill Harry, but couldn't, and then Voldemort's power for some reason broke, and he is now gone. Dumbledore then pulls out a watch that has stars and other things on it. It seems really peculiar, and it says that it seems like maybe he is the only person who can read it. And he exclaims that Hagrid is late and says to McGonagall that he supposes Hagrid told you that I would be here. But something that I do want to point out is a common theme throughout the entire series, and I wish more would be expanded on it, but there's a lot of significance in watches with Dumbledore, Harry, the Weasleys being given watches and talking about it being proper for a wizard when they come of age to be given a watch. And I, I want to know why. I would love to know the significance of watches in this universe. If you know, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. But yeah, Dumbledore tells Professor McGonagall, I'm sure it was Hagrid who told you that I would be here. She says yes, but wouldn't tell me why you are here. This is going to be important in just a few minutes, and I'll explain why. Dumbledore says that He's bringing Harry to his aunt and uncle, and Professor McGonagall protests. And this is honestly probably some of the most animated we ever see her. She's jumping up and pointing to number four and is just outraged that this is where Harry's going to be staying as she has watched the Dursleys all day, and they're the worst sort of muggles imaginable. I believe that's how the, the movie says it. It is... It's actually really funny, I think, to see her this way when you see her so stern and almost stoic the entire series. Dumbledore explains that this is going to be the best place for Harry and that he left a letter with Harry for the Dursleys. Well, not left, but will be leaving a letter for the Dursleys. And they go back and forth about how terrible the Dursleys are and why Harry shouldn't stay here. Professor McGonagall asks... How Harry is getting there, Dumbledore says Hagrid. And you see Professor McGonagall show a little bit of doubt about it. Do you really trust Hagrid with something as important as this? And I think this is interesting because we haven't even met Hagrid yet. And there are seeds of doubt and mistrust being planted already. And as we know in the second book, uh, this is very, very important and interesting. And so in comes Hagrid. He's on a huge motorbike and he gets one of my favorite descriptions he looked simply too big to be allowed and it says in the book if the motorbike was huge it was nothing compared to the man astride it dumbledore asks hagrid where he got the motorbike 
he says that young Sirius Black lent it to him. And so we see Sirius being brought up for the first time. And then Hagrid says that he has Harry. I want to pause really quick because I, I want to I want to ask some questions here. First, why the heck does Sirius have a huge, quote unquote, huge motorbike? I think the answer is simply to aggravate his parents who hated anything to do with muggles and non-pure bloods. We find all of that out later. Uh, we, we get a glimpse into his bedroom where he had a poster of muggle girls in bathing suits that had a permanent sticking charm on it so it couldn't be severed from the wall. And he was just so different from the rest of his family and he loved to stand out, especially when it came to his parents. But, but why a huge motorbike? Well, it would have been very muggle to have this motorbike. It was muggle transport. And huge? Well, if you're going to make your parents mad, go big or go home. For inside details, just ask my mother. She will give you the full details into raising three boys and how she claims it led to a stress-induced heart attack in her 30s. I disagree with her. We were all wonderful. We only got into trouble with cops like six or seven or eight times growing up and it's really unimportant mom you're okay my second question here that i have is just this time frame this time lapse or whatever is going on with the time here why has all of this taken so long hagrid just now shows up with harry in a bundle of blankets on a huge motorbike it is nighttime what is going on and, and so let's let's review for a second let's look at this first halloween night the Potters are killed. Second, also Halloween night, which we're assuming based on a few lines here and then some stuff from the third book, Prisoner of Azkaban, Hagrid shows up and finds Harry in the rubble of the building. It, it says that the, the building was almost gone. Sirius shows up. He requests to take Harry from Hagrid, but Hagrid declines, telling him that he is on... Dumbledore's orders taking Harry somewhere. Sirius offers up his motorbike. So where the heck does Hagrid take Harry? Because from that first night on Halloween night where all of this happens, we have that night and then we have the whole next day, which was what the first half of the chapter is about. People in the morning celebrating. We know it's morning because Dursley's going to work and he's seeing funny people out all day. And then in the news report, it has the report of all the strange things going on throughout the entire day, and then the Dursleys going to bed. So we have maybe at least 24 hours of just time that are unaccounted for. What is going on? Well, here are my theories. Theory number one, Hagrid takes Harry on a picnic. Theory number two, Hagrid takes Harry to meet all of his creatures in and around the forest and has a great time with them, and then has a picnic. Theory number three, and the most serious and probably most plausible, is Hagrid brought Harry to Hogwarts, to Dumbledore. And really quick, I, I, I want to read what it says next here. Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall bent forward over the bundle of blankets. Inside, just visible, was a baby boy, fast asleep. Under a tuft of jet black hair over his forehead, they could see a curiously shaped cut like a bolt of lightning. Is that where, whispered Professor McGonagall? Yes, said Dumbledore. He'll have that scar forever. Couldn't you do something about it, Dumbledore? Even if I could, I wouldn't. Scars can come in useful. 
Dumbledore was not surprised to see the scar, and in fact, he is seemingly able to describe the lasting effect of it, being that it will never go away, and that he can't do anything about it, maybe suggesting that he has already tried to heal it, that he has spent some time studying it, but we knew that Hagrid was aware enough of Dumbledore's plan to know where to bring him tonight. Hagrid had time without Harry also to tell Professor McGonagall that Dumbledore was having Harry brought here. Hence, we see her waiting. So I think that Harry is with Dumbledore most of the day while he figures out what happened to Harry and how best to protect him going forth. And after he's done that, he asks Hagrid to transport him to where they meet tonight because I'm assuming that Dumbledore probably had to take some measures to set all of these things up, such as the charms and defensive spells that are being placed in and around this area, which we will also talk about later. And yeah, now that Harry is here, Dumbledore takes him, and he's in this bundle of blankets, and he sets him on the step with the letter, turns to the others, and declares that they should leave and join the celebrations. To which Hagrid actually has a very interesting response. And I want to talk about this because it's interesting in the fact that there seems to be discrepancies in the books. In The Philosopher's Stone, Hagrid says, I best get this bike away. And that's the same with the illustrated version of The Sorcerer's Stone. But in the audiobook, when Jim Dale reads this line, he says... I'll be taking Sirius's bike back. This is such a weird discrepancy in the words, and I wonder why, but this also is something that I've alluded to and I pointed out in the first episode when it said that Dudley had learned a new word. And in some version it says shan't, in other versions it says won't. And so I, I wonder why the variations here, and again, if you know why, if you've heard about it, read it about it, Reddit about it somewhere. If you read about it somewhere, let me know at commonroomtalk at gmail.com. And finally, with them getting ready to depart, we see Hagrid and Professor McGonagall is sad. Dumbledore, however, just walks away and with a swish of his cloak disappears, disapparating after, of course, replacing all of the lights with his deluminator. The chapter then closes with a forward look at Petunia screaming as she finds Harry in the morning, and one of the last odd things that I would like to point out. Why, if the wizards have all been celebrating gloriously all day with owls and shooting stars and whatever else they probably have got themselves into with any and all kinds of magic, did they finish the day in hushed, quote-unquote, hushed, voices when they say to harry potter the boy who lived it seems odd that they would have to do it in hushed voices when they have been just in an uproar to the point where professor mcgonagall was worried about the muggles finding out about them and then for some reason they're all secretive maybe they all felt the stern of professor mcgonagall they felt it they felt her words and they knew she was angry and so they toned it down that would be my guess I don't know. And so, yeah, that's the end of the first chapter. One of the things that I wanted to talk about really quick was inside of the illustrated version that I'm using here, because that's what I'm going through with, with these books is the illustrated versions. They're some of my favorite ways to go through them. It's illustrated by Jim Kay. And 
when we first see Hagrid coming in on this motorbike, the, 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 the picture that he has here is just wonderful. You have this mane of hair, this big nose with goggles, and you have the light from the motorbike with these little handlebars. Actually, it's a huge motorbike, so I'm assuming that it is actually large handlebars. But Hagrid is just so big that he dwarfs the motorbike, and you just see these massive, like, trash can size, like, trash can lid size hands holding these handlebars. And it looks like at just any moment, it could just snap in half because they just under his hands, they look so delicate. And then on the next page, you, you have this photo that I'm assuming would be the depiction of Hagrid flying over Bristol as really in his descriptions, that's the the one place that we hear that he has flown over. And it doesn't look like he's descending as he's at the top of the page. There's a huge plume of smoke behind him as he's whizzing forward. You see his cloak kind of billowing behind him. And then down on the bottom of the page, this crosses both pages here, you have the dark outline and silhouettes of a, a little village with some lights popping here and there, little window lights and uh, maybe a few street lights. And so I would assume this is probably a, a depiction of Bristol where we see Hagrid saying that Harry had just fallen asleep. And again, the artwork in these books are just amazing. There's there's small little blue clouds throughout the, the pictures here or the pages here behind the words and, and just the way that the the words and the story is enveloped inside of all of this book like it, it just it meshes so well and honestly like one day if I'm blessed to have kids and I, I really hope that I am I can't wait to sit down at nighttime and, and read these books to them uh, it, it is going to be amazing to share with them the, the story, hopefully, that has inspired me so much in my life, and, and I hope that they get to also share in, in this magic. I, I Honestly, I can't wait. I, I, I love these books. I love the art in them. It, it's just so well done. It's almost like magic. One of the other things that I, I wanted to bring up, and I didn't actually have this kind of written down in just a, the little guide that I have here of my talking points. Because again, I want this to be candid. I don't want it to be anything that is scripted. But I do have little bulletins that I have written in front of me just to remind me of just the flow that I want and what I want to talk about. And I didn't write this one down. But one of the things that I, I do want to talk about is one of the reasons why I enjoy the the wizarding world so much and it is the the mystery behind it especially here in the first book and we're going to see this as over the next few chapters when we see what harry is getting not getting himself into what he is being given and what he gets into because of it but the way that the wizarding world is just so interlaid with the real world it could possibly exist that it is absolutely wonderfully done the way that it is just hidden among everything that we have here where to us we see run down i say us as as muggles and when i say us i mean you guys because i am most definitely a gryffindor and not a muggle and sorry to you muggles out there that is not a dig at you guys however i am not a muggle and the way that the wizarding world is so 
interlaid in that it could just be hidden that when muggles look at buildings and they see run down ruins or there are spells to make people forget while they're why they're in an area and they just go somewhere else everything is so beautifully hidden and it's so mysterious and it's part of the magic of it is that it, it seems as if it could be like it could really be there like it like it's really hidden amongst our world and i love it whether it's from going into an old bar that some muggles can't see and tapping on a brick wall and going into a, a, an amazing place filled with shops to this castle where there are train tracks leading somewhere and it's just it's so wonderful that it, it seems as if it could be and i absolutely love it and now i would like to do a shout out to some special people some some friends of mine who have their own podcast and community on facebook matt and kimbra not in that particular order they have a group called fantastic cruising or fantastic studios i believe on facebook but they have their own podcast called fantastic cruising where they talk about all things cruise related matt and kimber also happen to be huge harry potter fans and they're the ones who really helped me along getting all of this started and sometime in the near future i'm going to have them on here and we're all going to talk all things harry potter but i definitely encourage you go over find their page find their podcast if i if i have a way of linking it into all of these things i will do so but go over fantastic cruising if you have any questions whatsoever about cruising, the cruise industry. If you just want to have a good time and listen to them, go listen to their podcast. They are fun people to listen to. They have a great podcast. I listen to them every single week. They're, they're doing live broadcasts on Fridays. Some of the times you get to interact with them as they're going through their shows. I cannot recommend them enough. And it is really cool because you might ask, well, why Harry Potter and why cruising? Like, how do these two things come together? Well, if you go on Carnival Cruises, you will see that they have trivia nights. And one of their trivia nights is all about Harry Potter. And I I actually got helped into doing this podcast with them. They, they helped me out a lot. They're still helping me out. They're a great asset and great people to listen to. And again, I cannot high, I cannot recommend them enough. Again, that's fantastic. F I N fantastic cruising their podcast. You can find it on iTunes and Spotify and their community on Facebook, the fantastic cruising studios on Facebook. Now in their show, something that they do, uh, that they call a cruise creature where they talk about a creature that you would most likely find while out on a cruise or an excursion while you're out cruising. And it really gave me a good idea. And I asked them if I could kind of adapt their idea into this and talk about creatures from the Harry Potter universe, where we, we get a lot of the info from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt Scamander. And really what I want to do is every episode or two, every few episodes probably, because there's only a hundred some creatures that are really in this book, and unless they come out with a more expansive list of creatures, it would be hard to really do it every episode. I'm going to go through and just talk about a creature that we would find in the wizarding world. Maybe some of the episodes will be tied in with certain animals as we come across them, or just 
a random thing that I pick and go through. And if you guys have a certain request, you could also email it to me at commonroomtalk at gmail.com. And it's, it's really funny because I have to pause for a second every time I hear the email because I'm so used to hearing Matt and Kimbra say their email, fantasticcruising at gmail.com. And I feel like every time I'm getting ready to say commonroomtalk at gmail.com, I'm about to say Matt and Kimbra's email. And so if you're just listening in to that one part, it's probably really confusing hearing like two different emails back and forth. But yeah, every time I go to say our email, I, I have to stop for a second because I feel like I'm about to say the wrong email. But if you have a request of a creature you would like to hear about or talk about, email me again, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. So today's creature, just because it is probably my favorite, I'm not going to put it right at the top because there there is a, a creature that is probably my all-time favorite, but this one is very high up, if not most likely second. I, I know I already said favorite, but it's most likely going to be my second favorite, and I'm not going to reveal my absolute favorite until we actually do it. So you guys can sit on the edge of your seats wondering what is Tony's favorite creature. However, this time we're going to do the Niffler. That's right, the Niffler. It earned the top spot as in being the very first fantastic, I don't want to say fantastic, it's too close to fantastic, the very first, well, I guess fantastic would work because it's in the Fantastic Beasts. Okay, fantastic, not to get confused with fantastic. Our first fantastic beast that we will talk about is the Niffler. The Niffler is a native British beast. Though I think that beast is a little bit harsh for something so adorable. It's a rodent-like creature, so imagine something small. It could fit probably just in your hands, maybe a little bit bigger. But it kind of resembles a mix of a mole and a platypus. It has a long snout, similarly shaped to a platypus bill, and its body is covered in a dark coat of fur. Like weasels, they are very attracted to shiny things, and they like to collect them in the pouch that's on the front of their belly. Being a magical creature, it's no surprise that its pouch seems to hold a lot more than it logically should be able to, almost like it has an undetectable extension charm added to it. Their fingers and claws make them excellent at burrowing, and therefore they are useful for finding subterranean treasures or just shiny objects in general. Because of that, they are primarily used by goblins and curse breakers for Gringotts, but treasure hunters of all kinds love to use them. They also keep their burrows or layers up to about 20 feet deep below the surface, and when they reproduce, they usually have six to eight babies a litter. And while typically they are very gentle creatures, And as Mr. Scamander says, sometimes loving and affectionate, when left inside dwellings, they can and will wreck the place looking for treasure and shiny things. For a really satisfying account of that, check out Dirtbag, oh, I mean, sorry, Dolores Umbridge's office in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. So that does it for the Niffler, a creature that I absolutely would love to have. And Ron Weasley would absolutely love to have, as he is very much enthralled by his Niffler that he gets, and it finds a bunch of leprechaun gold for him. It is a very cute and adorable little creature. 
and I want one. And that honestly brings us to the end of the episode. And wow, I really thought that this was going to run over longer than it has. And we are actually very much in line with the time frame that I am shooting for. And so please, if you don't mind, again, we have an email address now, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. Questions, comments, concerns, complaints, anything that you want to talk about, any topic whatsoever inside of Harry Potter, please shoot me an email. If there's anything that I might have said that was incorrect or maybe half correct or just whatever, also send me an email. Let me know and we can get it addressed and fixed. And yeah, thank you guys all so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. And please like the podcast, give it a rating, uh, give it a star review, and please, above all, share it. Uh, Share it with everyone in your life who even just has an interest about Harry Potter. I want to reach as many people as possible inside of this. I want it to be a a place just like Harry Potter is a safe place for people who to go, like I talked about last episode. I want this to be a safe place for people to come and just listen. Uh, And when I say safe, I mean for for everyone, for kids, for for everyone. I want everyone to be able to listen to this uh, and not have to worry about what will ever be said. So please share it with everyone. And yeah, thank you again so much for listening. So here is actually the magic of editing. I'm sure that every single one of you probably just heard that last line and thought, this is the end of the podcast. And originally it was. However, today... I got the logo for Common Room Talk from somebody who is extremely dear to me, Gary Guerrero. He is an amazing artist and one of the, if not the greatest man I have ever known in my entire life. He has been a father to me and to my brother, and there are not enough words in the human language to describe how amazing of a person he is. I could go on and on for hours talking about it. However, I do need to end this podcast. But some of his artwork is displayed in the logos that he made for me, and he actually has a website that also displays the rest of his art. It is absolutely amazing. I cannot recommend looking at it enough. And when I have the chance, I will make sure to upload his email, not his email address, his website, so you can see his work. Gary, if you're listening, thank you so much for the logo. I absolutely freaking love it. To everyone else, have a wonderful evening.